The Lean Out podcast is sponsored by freewheel.co.uk, where you can buy online while also supporting local independent bike shops. Hello guys and welcome to the September edition of the Cycling Weekly Race Show, The Lead Out. I'm Alex Ballinger and alongside me today we have Vern Pitt, the news editor of Cycling Weekly, and Simon Richardson, the editor. Uh, this episode we're going to be talking about the Yorkshire World Championships, but before we jump into that, let's look at the headlines from the last month. The Vuelta a España 2019 was won by Jumbo Visma's Primoz Roglic, his first Grand Tour victory. The two-stage women's race held alongside the Vuelta, the Madrid Challenge, was won by Lisa Brenauer. The German took control of the race on the first stage time trial and finished in the bunch the following sprint day to seal the overall victory by 10 seconds over Lucinda Brandt. The 2019 Tour of Britain was dominated by an untouchable Matteo van der Poel, who won three stages and claimed the overall, finishing ahead of a valiant Matteo Trentin. Legendary lead-out rider Mark Renshaw has retired from the professional peloton, having finished the Tour of Britain. The 36-year-old Australian made his name as a faithful support rider for Mark Cavendish, the pair racking up 19 Tour de France victories together. Team Ineos principal and founder Sir Dave Brailsford has revealed a diagnosis for prostate cancer earlier this year. The 55-year-old underwent surgery in August after he was diagnosed before the 2019 Tour de France. So before we look to the World Championships, let's take a quick look back at the Vuelta, uh, last Grand Tour of the year. Fern, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great race. Good to see um, Primoz Roglic get his first uh, Grand Tour win after threatening to do so a couple of times, not least of all at the Giro earlier this year. Um, I think what's, what's sort of made it interesting for me is, um, is the fact that that's uh, debut Grand Tour winners at all of the Grand Tours this year. So it, just, it kind of felt like this year has been a, been a case of, of new stars kind of coming up, which is always good for cycling. Simon, Jumbo Visma as well. Um, does this feel like their transformation into a Grand Tour winning team is now complete, I suppose? Yeah, I think so. It's getting across the line. Um, good start at the Giro. Uh, I mean, they had a good 20, 2018, but a good start at the Giro this year. Then they were very, very strong at the Tour de France. Probably the strongest team there. Just couldn't finish it off. And now they finally landed that win um, with one of their GC contenders. So I think this is them, you know, they are now here to stay as a GC team for the next couple of years and it'd be good to see them along with Movistar take it to Ineos over the next few years especially at the Tour de France I think they're you know they're now one of the strongest teams when we go into a three-week race I, I, I think what's going to be interesting about that though is they've got Tom Dumoulin next year haven't they so it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of manage those competing priorities so you've got Dumoulin, Roglic, Kreuzweig you know Movistar have shown that you can have lots of talented top-rate GC riders and still fail to win quite easily so yeah, I mean, Movistar have turned that into an art, haven't they? Yeah. But, I mean, on, 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 in, in their defence, they have made the racing very, very interesting to watch. You know, they, they, on social media is awash with criticism of Movistar when they um, do whatever they're doing, but makes the race thoroughly interesting to watch. I'm, I'm all for it. Great. <laughs> yeah, so have two teams doing that. Yeah. And if they keep attacking the leader when he's crashed, we should have a few more stories out of it as well, shouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other standouts from lower down in the rankings then for you guys? I think for our uh, for magazine readers, James Knox was an absolutely phenomenal ride, finishing his first Grand Tour. Should have really finished in eighth place, but just a really nasty crash on the, on the last Friday on a wet descent when his wheel slipped out. Just meant he lost some time on the Saturday and dropped out of um, dropped out of the top ten. But what a phenomenal ride by him! Um, yeah, really, really exciting to see that. You got you got to kind of concur with that, really. I mean, um, 
that's sort of one of the things that we love about cycling, isn't it? Is the heroism. Admittedly, poor guy's got to hurt himself to sort of yeah. put himself in that position. But you know, it was a it was a true ride for the ages. And uh, I spoke to him for the magazine this week, and you know, he, he said he spent like the first three hours of that stage wanting to just wanting to climb off the bike, and his kind of team pulled him through. And you know, it's pretty pretty good story of her- sort of every not every day cycling heroism. Um, yeah. But other than him, I think it's also worth mentioning Teo Gegenhart as well, uh, who looked earlier in that third week like he was going to land a, land a stage win, having been, I think he was third and then second on successive stages. Um, and he was on that one, he was second, he was chasing down Fuglsang. I don't think he was making much of an inroad, but, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't far off being, so, you know, winning, getting his debut Grand Tour stage win there. Yeah, really good sign for Teo, I think, because earlier on in the race, up the first um, first climb, he lost time along with about Powers and everyone wrote it off. But what was really interesting to see, he wasn't there for the result, but what was good was that he came strong in the last week. So that suggests he has got the ability to ride a good Grand Tour when he's a bit older. Um, and so that would be confirmation for him that, yeah, I, I can do Grand Tours. You know, I don't fade in the last week. I get stronger, or you know, I carry on with my form. So um, that's a really good sign for him. So um, as he gets older and he just starts putting all the pieces in place, um, that's uh, that's very positive. Yeah. I think the one thing we can't really move on without mentioning as well is Tadej Pogacar, UAE team member. It's a bit of a superstar, really, wasn't it? His first Grand Tour, he took three stages, finished third, and the entire three weeks he just was yeah, amazing, wasn't he? Really. Yeah. Another. Yeah. I mean. A lot of the talk has been about Slovenia's first Grand Tour win, but he was probably the more surprising um, rider from the race. So, you know, first and third on the podium, that's, um, that's, that's, that's a real boost for, for cycling over there. So we'll see, what, see what, uh, where that goes. Right, let's move on to the Yorkshire World Championships. Uh, home World Championships don't come around very often, so this is really exciting. The racing kicks off with the mixed relay team time trial on the first day. That's a new event for World Championship level. And then throughout the week, you're going to have paracycling, you're going to have junior and men's under 23 time trials and road races, uh, along with the women's races. And it all builds up to the women's road race and the elite men's road race as well, which closes out the event. So you guys have just wrapped up the Cycling Weekly Yorkshire preview. Uh, so you guys are going to be experts on this field, aren't you? Well, well, we, we know a thing or two. Yeah, we know a thing or two. I've forgotten it all already. <laughs> <laughs> so Home World Championships, you guys excited about it as well? Oh, obviously. You can't not be excited about Home World Championships, can you? Like it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Christmas and New Year all at once. And so let's move on to the first race that we're going to look at. Then we're going to look at the time trials, the elite men's and women's time trials. Uh, let's start with the women's time trial. Uh, what do you guys think about the think about the, t- the team that we're fielding there? So we've got Alice Barnes and uh, Hayley Simmons as well. Yeah, I mean, Alice Barnes has really stepped up as a time trialer this year. Um, obviously, national champion, took that title in June along with the road race. So very capable. Um, what a lot of people have missed was in the months before that she'd been performing very, very well in time trials in stage races. So sort of thing that goes under the radar because it's just one stage. Um, but along with her coach Dean Downing, who only started working with her last winter, they put a lot of work into her time trialling and that's why she's made a big improvement, working to power and doing specific efforts on the TT bike. So she's really stepped up. So I think they're quite hopeful of a good performance from her. Um, I don't think a top 10 is out of the question. If she's on a good day, even better maybe. So I think uh, that's, that's a really exciting one to watch out for. Hayley Simmons has a mixed bag at, at this level. She's done really well 
Other times, not so well. I know um, last year she's had a really bad elbow injury, which kept her out of contention for a lot, big part of the year. Um, but on her day, I, th I think she could uh, she could be top twenty as well. So um, yeah, really interesting. She'll come into it largely off a domestic program, I believe. But um, yeah, yeah, exciting prospects there. And seventh and ninth, uh, Barnes was seventh at the European Championships, and uh, Simmons was ninth as well. Yeah. So they're there thereabouts, you know, even at top level time trial. Uh, Vern, what do you think about the competition? Who you, who have you got your eye on that could be a threat? Well, I mean, there's only really there's only really one person that you've got to talk about, isn't it? It's um, uh, Annemiek van Vleuten. Um As the defending champion, obviously she's super strong. She's had another one of those seasons where she's everything she almost everything she. Uh, goes to a start line before she ends up winning it seems so yeah, write her off at your peril especially this uh, I haven't checked out the women's courses in much detail but I think you know it's quite rolling roads up there so that's going to potentially suit someone small like her and also her compatriot Anna van der Breggen as well European champion I think it was the fourth or fifth time in a row she's won that so she, you know, she's going to be flying as well isn't she and if, if something goes wrong for van Bluten, you've got to imagine van der Breggen is probably the next favourite in line yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty privileged position to be the Dutch national coach right now. So, yeah, you, you, you know, you've got, you've got two, of the, two of the world's best there. I wouldn't be surprised if they're both on the podium. It's a, it's a tough course as well, isn't it? We've got a 30-kilometre course from uh, Ripon to Harrogate. Uh, prof profile looks quite lumpy as well. It's a little bit more technical in the second half than the men's course as well. Um, then with the uphill drag to the finish on Parliament Street as well. So it really is a really mixed bag, I think, isn't it? So there's sections where each kind of time trialist should thrive. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how people approach it. I mean, uh, some of the um, TT experts out there break down a ride into 20, 30 segments and you, you can have a power profile for each of those segments. You can be really, really specific about it. So it'd be really interesting to see how the different riders go for it because if you um, if you go too deep into the red in the first half, you'll, I, th I think you'll see a lot of people in trouble in the second half because there's a lot of there's a lot of up and down in that second half of the course, not, not like your normal TT route. So... Um, Solid pacing is going to be critical for um, for all the riders. So it'll be um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to watch how, how different riders approach it because there's bound to be different tactics. That would definitely make it, the the good thing about that as well is it makes it much more interesting from a st the spectator point of view because you know, like you say, you've got those kind of different tactics playing out on the road as opposed to sort of being able to look at the first half and go whoever's up at halfway is is probably going to be uh, up at the end, Brian. They don't sort of their legs don't depart. Yeah, and you know, quite quite important for the riders to see the course as well because on the descents, <clears throat> if you just freewheel down them, you're going to lose time. You want to keep the power on throughout. So depending on how technical they are, um, will make the difference whether or not riders can actually do that. So um, I think they'll want to be seeing the course. They they get time to ride it in that in the week anyway, but um, they need to see that course. So they they're not just freewheeling down descents because that's a way to lose time. In a t um, in a time trial so I think it's going to be some really interesting races there but the same for the men's it's, it's, it's really lumpy it's a really sporting course as we'd call it yeah so looking at, looking at the men's then um, so we are putting up a, a very strong team or what we understand is going to be the team We've, so the, the long list was Alex Dyset Theo Gegenhart and possibly Garrett Thomas as well um, those three guys have been looking good in time trials this year. What, what do you think their prospects are, Simon? Yeah, I think you'd look to Garrett Thomas to get the best result there. We spoke to him for this week's magazine, and he's a bit unsure. He's been very... T a well, a lot of the tour riders have been very tired since that race. It was such a hard race early on, and then to be hit with the mountains late. Um, there's lots and lots of the contenders from the tour who um, who've really suffered for that. Um, so it, it'll be a case of who comes around for that, including Garrett Thomas. He doesn't... 
he's had some very good time trial results within stage races, but has never really ridden them as an individual event. And you do tackle them in quite different ways. So um, a bit of a step into the unknown for him, but you think he'd, if, if he gets his recovery right, which is ongoing from uh, the Deutschland Tour as well, then you'd like to see him up there, but um, it's really hard to say for, for everyone who rode the Tour. It's, it's hard to say what shape they're going to be in because they're all saying they're tired. Um, and then, of course, you've got Tom Dumoulin not riding, Chris Froome not riding, and Tony Martins just had a very nasty crash at the end of the Vuelta. So whether or not he's riding, um, I think there's probably a question mark over that at the time as well. So it, it's probably the most open men's time trial at the Worlds we've seen in a long, long time. Thomas has been quite honest himself as well, hasn't he, saying he doesn't go very well at the end of the season. He's not someone that sort of can keep at the high level, you know, all the way through the year. So that's going to be interesting to see how fatigue just over the whole year as well as the Tour has affected him as well. Fern, Alex I, Dyson. I, sorry, go on. Uh, well, can I just, on, on Thomas, I think I don't, I, I, there's a bit of me that one, he's normally quite a straight shooter, but I wonder how much of that is sort of trying to lift a bit of expectation up of it, off of his shoulders because, you know, you he has done, he won the British Nationals last year in pretty convincing fashion. Admittedly, he was in his kind of Tour de France winning shape. But I don't get the impression he's not, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy to, to turn up just to kind of get a top 10. I, I think, like you say, it's, it's one of those most open competitions. So I think he's got a pretty good chance. What about Alex Dyson then as well, national champion uh, in the time trial? He seems to be looking quite strong again. He sort of his form has has sort of undulated in the last few years. Do you think that he's got any sort of uh, hopes of a top ten position, maybe a strong position? I think it's fair to say that Dowsett's been better this year than he's been in the last sort of couple of years. I think he's put a lot more. Well, I know he's put a lot more work into improving his aerodynamics and uh, and what have you. I don't know in terms of what he's done for testing and stuff, but I think he's been. Sort of try out new bits of kit here and there when he when he gets a chance. Um, he's moved to altitude, so he's living at altitude now, training at altitude, which uh, I think is making him making better over those longer distances. Kind of allow able to go like in and out of the red a bit more. Um, so that's definitely going to help on a on a course like this because it's uh, fairly lengthy. It's not like a sort of uh, a ten mile Wednesday yeah, night blast. Yeah, fifty four kilometers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's going to kind of aid him in this kind of scenario. Um, that said, he wasn't. I don't think he was particularly happy with how he went at the Tour of Britain, judging by his demeanour there um, in that time trial. He was, I think, sort of in the, I think he was in the top 20, but, um, but I think his, he said his legs abandoned him in the sort of second half of the race. So he'll be hoping for a bit better, but that was after a few days of quite hard racing. Um, so on a sort of a one day, a one day shot, I would expect him to do a little bit better than that. So. We'll see. Again, it's quite open. I think top 10 is probably possible for him. Uh, but if he gets it right in the day, he, he, he can do that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, and I know he's been very disappointed with previous world's performances where he's been well outside the top 10 and, and he's keen to put that right in international time trials because he knows it's his specialist subject um, and he does excel at it. So I know he's keen to put that right. It's worth kind of mentioning the man that sort of motivated him to go back to the drawing board as well, Rohan Dennis, who has been a bit of a mystery in the second half of the season after he pulled out the Tour de France but he did a, an interview with some Australian press uh, about last week I think um, when he was saying like he's 
you know, he's definitely up for he's up for going. He's going to ride. I think he's going to ride an unbranded bike. I think he said. Yeah, um, yeah. he still intends to be with Barry Marida next year, but he's going to be riding an unbranded bike. Yeah, on, apparently on advice of the Australian coaches. But right. that's going to be very interesting to see. I think, isn't it? That he, he, you know, if we can try and guess what bike he's riding as well, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see. Get uh, one of the tech guys down there. Yeah. An eagle arm. Any other uh, serious contenders then that you like? It, it's really hard to pull one out. I mean. <clears throat> I, th- I think you've got to look at Roglic just coming out of the Vuelta in good form. He, we know he can time trial very, very well. Um, and yeah, his, his final week of the Vuelta would suggest he's hit peak form late in that race. Um, and it's not long to carry that form over. Whereas um, there weren't many other strong time trialers up there at the end of the Vuelta. Um, and like I said, going back to Tour de France, everyone is, is feeling a bit tired or, or they're just not riding. So I think I think he's definitely definitely one to look out for as well as Dennis. So Vern, anyone else on your radar? Well, I think you've got a, you, the most obvious choices are the two Belgians, Campagnards and uh, Evenepoel. Um, I mean, Campagnards obviously our record holder. Um, been going pretty pretty strong all year, and Evenepoel is you know, is there a race that kid can't win? It, it's absolutely absurd. Um, and he won the Europeans, I think it was. European time trial champion now, yeah. Earlier in the year. Um, you know, he's sort of gone from junior to senior as if it's no big deal whatsoever, um, winning left, right and centre. So as much as it sounds crazy to say first year senior could win the world's time trial title, it's not un- inconceivable. Mm. Yeah, Campanats has really struggled at sort of top level time trials, isn't he? Still yet to take a Grand Tour uh, stage victory in a time trial, even though he's come close and looked like he could do it, something's gone wrong. Um, but then Aidan Paul as well would be looking to repeat his victories from last year when he was the double junior road race and time trial champion as well. And I mean, that would just be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Because then he's also a threat for the, for the men's road race as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, there's no race that that kid can't win, it seems. Right then, on to the elite women's road race. So let's take a quick look at the course before we get into the contenders. We've got 149 kilometres from Bradford to Harrogate with three laps of that finishing circuit in Harrogate as well. It's Relentless climbing, two really tough climbs along the way, isn't it? What do you think, Simon? Um, yeah, I mean, all the roads around there are tough. I've had the pleasure of riding in Yorkshire and you always end up with tired legs. Um, they're doing Nord Edge and Loft House, two um, testing climbs. Um, and then the finishing circuit itself, I think, at the end of a long day, is going to catch out a lot of people. The, even the finishing straight climb up past um, the Stray and Betty's Tea Rooms is, is, is a tough old climb at the end of a long race. Um, so a real wearing down course. Um, so it's going to be the strong riders who are left. I think I don't think it'll be much of a bunch finish and um, finishing together. It'll be a, a strong riders course in the finish. It favours someone with a good uphill sprint. And I think there's only one rider in the women's field that you, you think of in that, and that's Marianne Voss. Um, but yeah, just a, a good course and um, uh, hopefully lots of people out watching. And Verde, it's one of the longer races on the women's calendar as well. How do you think that can sort of affect the race? Uh, yeah, I think it's sort of, I, 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 it's, it's getting up towards the kind of, yeah, the, the UCI maximum kind of limit for, for a women's race, I believe. And um, it's, it's one of those things where you go into slightly uncharted territory, don't you? You don't know 100% how everyone's going to kind of handle that. Um, but I think, like Simon says, it's going to be one of those ones for a small group sprint, I would have thought, by the end of it. And then let's take a quick look at the contenders then. So British team, who stands out from the British team for you? Well, I mean, obviously it's like, it's all about Lizzie Dugman. She's made no 
no secret the fact that this is like one of her big motivations after coming back from having her daughter. Um, and she's been, you know, progressively getting better and better in races. She's definitely looked pretty strong. This last month, she, when she was racing, she didn't look quite as, quite as sharp as she has done. But I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about that. Um, and she is really, she's, you know, former world champion herself. She's probably one of the only people who can kind of challenge the Dutch uh, steam roller that is, uh, that is Marianne Voss and co. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, she's, she's got to be the kind of, she's going to be the central point of their focus. I'm sure everything's going to be built around her. And so if Dagenen is the rider to watch for the British team, who has she got support in assignment that's worth watching? Um, well, you've got the Barn Sisters, Alison Hannah, uh, you've got Nikki Juniper and um, Lizzie Banks, who's been um, an outstanding rider this year, who's, she only started racing about four years ago. And she only started riding a bike a couple of years before that when she bought a bike on Gumtree purely to commute to work. And she actually, um, she'd done six years of a medical degree and stopped to, to go race her bike. And she's, uh, and this year she won a stage of the Giro Rosa, so a, a massive rise to prominence this year. Um, and she's based herself in Sheffield. She comes from Worcestershire, but she's based herself in Sheffield now, so she'll know the roads. Really strong rider, um, did very, very well at the Tour de Yorkshire, finished top 10 there. Um, so a really exciting rider and she's, she's come out and said that you know, she wants to be the best in the world that's why she's doing it so you know alluding to the fact she wants to be the world champion one day I think this is probably coming a little bit too soon but um, she's, she's completely come out of the blue really and that's, that, that's a godsend for, for Lizzie Dynam because she needs some riders around her like that um, uh, she's, she, Lizzie Banks has really bolstered that team and really brought strength to it and hopefully lift everyone else we know the Barn sisters can um, can perform. Um, Nikki Juniper, less sure about. She's very much a quick racer in the past, but moved to Belgium this year and raced abroad, so she has taken a big step up in the races she's doing, um, both in the, the, the competition and the distance. So um, be interesting to see if, if she moves up and, and can perform at, at, at this level. And Vern, talking of the competition, you mentioned uh, Mariana Voss. It, it's all about the Dutch, isn't it? Really, in terms of the dangerous riders. I mean, the 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 the, the Dutch squad is is absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous that they should have this many good people. There should be some sort of rule against it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, we need to we need to look into that. But I mean, let me let me just read the list of names here. You've got Anna van der Breggen, Chantel Black, Lucinda Brand, Amy Peters, Annemiek van Vluten, and Mariana Voss, uh, and a. A uh, couple of other riders in there as well. I mean, like that would be anyone would be kind of any any coach would be give their right arm to have a selection like that. The only the only problem is like managing all those kind of people in that in that in that team because you've got a bunch of people who all think that they can win this race. Can they function together? And traditionally, that's been the way that well, not traditionally in recent years, that's been the way that. Um, that people have looked at it is uh, can you kind of get them to be themselves so that you can kind of come through and take the win uh, that hasn't worked though last year so um, there's no reason to suppose it necessarily will work this year and then uh, last year I think there was much was made of the sort of the rival internal rivalry between Van der Breggen and Van Vluten wasn't there and it all basically came down to an injury didn't it for Van Vluten Van Vluten crashed broken knee and rode a ridiculous distance with a broken knee to finish uh, still in the top 10 I think it was but it was Van der Breggen that was there 
to ride away to take the take the rainbow jersey so like you say there is still that internal conflict that you can have when there's so many it's not just big riders either is it it can be big personalities that you need to be a champion as well i think i think the only thing yeah exactly the, the only thing that kind of perhaps goes against like that being the case that rivalry being destructive this year uh, one of the only thing one of the things that goes against that rivalry being destructive this year is the is the resurgence of marianne voss who's looked for the first time really like she was when she used to win at will almost um, and this course like you mentioned earlier is is kind of tailor made for her really that finish is, is completely tailor made for Marianne Voss if there's a group that, and she's in I just expect her to fly away from them in the last few hundred metres and, and win um, so anyone who wants to beat her will have to get rid of her before then But and there's been loads of sharp uphill sprints that we've seen this year where she has just been the only rider hasn't yeah. it La Course was a similar yeah. finish I think you know, it was a sharp uphill sprint to the line and there was no one else even there, you know. Even the line that she took into the final corner was just flawless. She carried yeah. the speed and the sprint was on. Yeah, just she, she can do what Matteo van der Poel does in, in men's racing and what Peter Sagan used to do before him and Alejandro Valverde before him. Um, age kind of creeps up on you and, and, and slows you down, but not for Marianne Voss. She, she's gotten back to that level and is phenomenal in that situation. Just, just to bring it back to Lizzie Dagman, who we were talking about earlier again, I mean, she'll be one of those people who will definitely want to get rid of her before they get to that stage. I mean, she, she'll remember probably too well what happened at the the last time they raced like that on home roads at the Olympics in 2012 mm. is that she lost out in a sprint so I don't think she'll want to repeat that situation. I think two riders that I'd pick out Australian Amanda Spratt who was second last year and looked good in the uh, La Course in summer and also American Chloe Digart um, won the double as a junior um, set an utterly incredible IP world record on the track two winters ago then got injured, I think it was her knee, but has been winning again racing in America this year. Um, her coach is very, very keen to hold her back, hold her away from Europe while she's still young and developing. But she's been named in the American team. Um, and if she is back to full strength, she is, um, she's a real contender. And I think she's a bit of an unknown because she hasn't been racing in Europe, so they won't know what she's capable of. And um, if she's clever, she can just hide in the bunch and um, let rip at the end because her, I mean, her figures on the track are just outstanding she can power away from absolutely anyone she um at the track worlds in in the netherlands in 2018 she lapped Annemiek van vluten in front of a home crowd and did so just over halfway um she just crushed her um so if she's on that sort of form it'll be really really interesting to see what she can do right then and then on to the men's road race let's take another quick look at the course so this is a beast of a course isn't it it's a little bit terrifying really uh, so 285 kilometers from Leeds to Harrogate seven laps of the finishing circuit in Harrogate to wrap it up similar to the to stage one of the 2014 Tour de France uh, we've got three classified climbs in there or three big climbs in there should I say um, and they are not much fun so you've got Kidstones Pass, Buttertubs and Grinton Moor and the numbers for those the averages and the and the maximum gradients don't look much fun do they Simon? No they don't um, I remember Buttertubs from the Tour de France but it, what What'll be interesting is how they ride it. Typically, the the, uh, the world's road race is very, very controlled. A break will go out, get six, seven minutes, um, involving a few riders from countries that have no chance of um, competing. And then it just gets faster and faster and faster and faster as the race goes on. So I remember riding those roads the week before the Tour de France came through, and I thought, 
this is just going to blow the field to pieces. But actually on the day, the, the whole peloton just cruised around. Um, first day of a three-week race, and they could have just ripped their legs off on the first day, which they don't want to do. Also, the size of the crowds that day took them all by surprise, and they had to sort of just rein it in a bit because they were just so overwhelmingly big. Um, so uh, although the course, although they could race could blow to pieces on those climbs, I don't expect it to. Uh, again, it'll be a case of wearing down and where it'll explode will be on the finishing circuit in Harrogate, which is tough itself. Quite technical as well. Um, and obviously by the time you hit that, you've got a lot of fatigue in your legs. So um, I, I think those earlier climbs, are just, it's a wearing down process. Don't expect to see any fireworks, but great place to go and spectate. Get out there and watch, it'll be fantastic. Um, but they, they will be in control, I would say, until they hit the Harrogate finishing circuit. I can see it playing out a little bit like the Glasgow European Championships last year as well, where they had a really tough finishing circuit, which had a few climbs that you just repeated, didn't you? And then by the end of it, riders were just getting dropped and dropped yeah. and dropped on every lap. And then it's just whoever's left after that, isn't it? You, you always sit at the Worlds. It just You have sort of six and a half hours of build-up, which can be tedious, but it gives you time to have a little snooze or make a, cup, a few cups of tea, but then it just explodes. And it, it's the build-up that makes that explosion so exciting. It's, um, it's, 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 and it's worth watching every minute, especially in Yorkshire. I just, I just cannot wait to see the crowds for these races. Like a kind of prog rock classic, isn't it? Like you've yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, things are happening in that opening uh, six hours, but um, it's all building up to a big crescendo. Yeah, um, I think you know that it would be. Uh, I think that's that's probably spot on the money. But I mean, it would be kind of trite to say that it's going to be boring those first six hours because it's going to be people are going to need to make it hard. There's too many teams that don't want Pierre Sagan, Matteo van der Poel, like. These are guys you can't bring to the line. So how confident are you that you can get rid of them in that finishing circuit? Well, possibly quite confident, but you're gonna to need to make put some hurt on them in those early in those early kilometres to make that make it make the difference when it when it counts, I think. Let's take a look at the contenders then. So you just mentioned Matthew van der Poel, who is the bookie's favourite. But am I right in thinking that your theory, Vern, is that the bookies don't know what they're talking about? I think my theory is that the bookies <laughs> don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I did a piece a couple of years ago where I talked to a bunch of people who do a lot of betting on cycling, and they were very much of the consensus that the bookies don't know what they're talking <laughs> about. Um, not saying I know what I'm talking about, but um, uh, I, I think you know a lot of people probably have gone and piled some money on Van der Poel because they saw him at the, tour, uh, at the Tour of Britain this last week, where he's been, frankly, just phenomenal, um, blasting past... Um, a breakaway and, and winning a sprint uphill by such a big distance that the rest of the peloton have barely come over the crest of the hill. Um, so, you know, people have looked at that and, uh, and sort of said, oh, well, you know, he's tailor-made for a course like the, like the world's. And, and that's true, he is. And, and he's clearly like a super, super talent. If you talk to people in the bunch, they'll tell you, no, he's, one of, he's not just another good guy. He is... A cut above your average. Uh, your average. He's like Peter Sagan was uh, several years ago. Very much he reminds me of young, so. young Peter Sagan. Yeah. It's those uphill sprints that just set a rider apart, and that's what Van der Poel has been doing. Just those long sprints. I mean, this Amstel Gold, not so much uphill, but um, the sprint itself. But when he he chased down the leaders, led out the sprint, and then won the sprint by several bike lengths, is a talent that few. Um, riders have ever shown. It reminds me of a young Peter Sagan who reminded me of a young Alejandro Valverde. They all had that long sprint and they could do it on the uphill as well, not like a, a fast man like your Cavendish or Cattell, um, which is exactly what you need to win in Harrogate. So if he can handle the distance and there's, he won Amstel Gold, there's no reason why he can't, um, he can do it and uh, I, I, would put, I think the 
Bookies do know what this all about in this case. <laughs> well, I'll see about that. I'll right? see about my money on Mathieu van der Poel. See, the interesting thing I always think about van der Poel as well is when you see him finish a race, it's just how much he's given and how empty he is every time. The Tour Britain, the first Tour Britain stage that he won, did that ridiculously long uphill sprint. And afterwards, he just had to put his head on his bars for about five minutes to catch his breath because he just goes so, so deep, doesn't he? And you sometimes see sprinters that come across the line angry with themselves, but they look like they've got plenty more that they could have given, either because they didn't get out wide and couldn't get the sprint going or because they left it too late but van der Poel doesn't do that does he no no regrets for him at the end of any stage by the looks of it that seems to be the case i i, I think you know you've got a point to raise like amstel gold in the distance but I, I do think the distance is a question mark this is i think it's 285 kilometers long like that's a that's a big old race like you know and this is going to be I don't want to say harder, but it's definitely going to be kind of a bit more grippy than Milan San Remo is for most of its most of its distance. So that's going to be, I think it's going to be unlike anything any anyone does on a regular basis, and I think definitely it's going to be unlike anything Van der Poel's probably done on the on the road. So I don't know. I think I think that will, if if anything undoes him, it'll be it'll be that. I mean, we could think of it as just six or seven cyclocross races in a row. Well, when you put it like that, he would win that easily. He would win that easily. Sounds easy. <laughs> but I think if he makes it to that finishing circuit, that's when he's going to be dangerous, isn't he? If he's in the front group in that finishing circuit, because that it's just perfect for him, isn't it? You know, even sort of the you know the the sort of thirteen kilometer distance looks really good for him. The climbs, it will be like a cyclocross race for him by that point, you'd imagine. It'd be interesting to see. It will be a lot about how it's raced as well, because you you know how many times have you heard Peter Sagan complain about everyone races so that I don't win rather than so that they win themselves and they're going to be doing that to Sagan but they're also going to be doing that to Matthew van der Poel as well so and Valverde and Valverde yes and Valverde um, and Alaphilippe <laughs> let's, talk, let's <laughs> talk about Alaphilippe I mean, a little bit as well yeah. they, those four riders make um, yeah are going to make it a good race if, if they all turn up on their A game um, yeah, Alaphilippe would have been your choice I think all year has been people's choice since the Tour de France mm. he's really done he, he's one of the riders who's come out utterly exhausted from the Tour de France so whether or not that's his season over we don't know but that course suits him as well as it does Van der Poel um, probably more so in fact I'll say because he's a, he's a slightly better climber so he can handle that handle those climbs um, but whether or not he's too tired don't know he's, he's been virtually invisible since the Tour de France so you know a real unknown sort of turned into a bit of a wild card isn't he sort of just by yeah. by virtue of not being around I mean he beat Peter Sagan in the sprint at Milan San Remo earlier this year yeah. and you wouldn't have said he was ever capable of doing that so if there's any any year in which you kind of think that you know because he's got multiple ways to win now in which mm. you would have I think previously thought of him as someone who would have to have gone solo on a course like this but if you can beat Peter Sagan in a sprint then at the end of a very, very long race, then, well, that's what this is. I think you've got to, for the Worlds, at this stage, in the, ever since it's been at this time in the season, you've got to look at the rider who's come out of the Grand Tours on, on great form, which is your Primoz Roglic, or your riders who are fresh, who've, who've rested up a bit and, and just been in, the, been in the background doing their thing, like Michael Matthews winning in Canada last week. Mm. You know, that, again, it's this kind of sprint that suits him. He's not had a great year, but has he just done enough and got coming to form at the right time? Uh, Valverde second at the Volta, a man who n- doesn't know anything about fatigue, so he just nothing. You know, <laughs> he, he, n- rode the Tour, rode the Volta, but fatigue doesn't worry him, um, and he's up there every single year. Um, and you, yeah, if you want to put money on someone being in the top five, it would be him. Um, uh, so then you have Sagan, quite years also Sagan been quiet so far, since the yeah. Tour de France, once he won the green jersey, but he wins that just by turning up sometimes. 
Um, his but, team said that he was he was quite fatigued after. Yeah. So I recall that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but again, they're the riders that suits. It's just a case of who is going to come in fresh, on form, um, and really up for it. And then Evan Paul as well, who it would be an amazing story for him to win it as well. Win it. I mean, maybe not the most likely. He's uh, twenty to one with the bookies at the moment, which is not bad yeah. considering you know it's your first season at top level. Again, it's the distance that will get get basically a kid straight out the junior ranks. I mean, just unreal that we're talking about a first year senior at the World Championships. Just doesn't sound right. I mean, the way the way to to look at the world is often in country by country. So Belgium have got Van der Poel and Gilbert won a couple of stages at Walter. So Van Avermaet as well. He's going well. Van Avermaet has, has um, popped back up again, so he's going well. So Belgium have got a really, really strong team. Um, Dutch, have the Dutch got, they have a very strong team. Have they got an out-and-out winner? Um, and the Italians, maybe Nibali. Trentin. Nibali Trentin. Said, not, uh, said no, he's not feeling it. So, he yeah, said no, yeah. so maybe it's Trentin for the Tr- Italians. Trentin looked okay, but I mean, he couldn't match. Sp- I think you spoke to him, didn't you? Yeah, I spoke to him Britain. a couple yeah. of times. Um, he couldn't match uh, Van der Poel in those kind of races. But again, he's got a bit more, a few more seasons in his legs. Is he going to cope with that distance a bit better? He admitted himself that he needs Van der Poel to be dropped to be yeah. in, doesn't he, basically, which, which I think sounds, fair, sounds like a fair assessment. If we look at the, the British team then as well, it looks like, I don't know if you guys are going to disagree, but it looks like Ben Swift is probably going to be the chosen son I, of the British team. I think he's definitely your best bet. I mean, you were talking about Valverde being a good bet for a, a top five. I think like Ben Swift kind of probably falls into that category. Um, like, perhaps not to the same degree that, not to the same degree uh, Valverde does, but I think on this course he could, be, could definitely be up there. Um, I think things might need to go his way a little bit for him to to actually kind of win it. But, you know, he's definitely had a much better season this season, having returned to Ineos, got a new coach. Um, he was f- apparently flying and training earlier in the year just before he had quite a nasty crash, which took him out of action for a bit. But he kind of built back up, got that British road race win. And he looked, he looked OK at the Tour of Britain. He looked reasonable. Um, he doesn't have quite the horsepower of uh, Van der Poel, but I mean, uh, I don't know. He's got he's got several years on him, so you know that'll be that'll be part of the reason for that. But you know, he could he could definitely he can definitely do something in a race like this. There's, there's ben, Ben's one of those riders that just suits a circuit race. So he's 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 popped up before in the World Champs, did in Norway, um, done very well. Always does well at the National Champs. You know, you, you, something like Tour Flanders doesn't suit him one little bit, but. He, to the world champs or national championships and it really does he's just that sort of rider um, he doesn't have the horsepower of the Sagan or Mathieu van der Poel but what he does have is bunch racing skill in abundance he's always had it since he was a little kid because he's been racing since he could walk I believe um, so he can get himself into position um, he can hide all day which is what you need to do at the Worlds you just need to keep out of the way keep out of the wind and um, keep your legs as fresh as you can and he's the rider who can do that and he's got a good sprint on him at the end of a long race he's done it in Milan San Remo as well several times so we know he can sprint at the end of a race but for him to get on the podium everything has to go right someone like Peter Sargon or Valverde can win on a bad day they can they can make the most out of a bad situation I think for Ben because he hasn't got their horsepower he just needs everything to go right on the day so that's his form um, tactics the way the race pans out and having his teammates around him but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there um, you know, he's a local lad he'll have, Peter, he'll have support in abundance um, and I'm Shouldn't sure he's gonna, well, he'll, he'll know the, the roads he'll know yeah. the roads very very well um, and he'll have been up for this 
for more than the last year, he'll have been looking at this. Thinking you get the feeling is that this me. has been his real target lately as well, don't you? I've seen him in stage races. I think it was a tour of Poland, which was, I think it was on by Pavel Sivakov. But there was one day where he, well, it was a few days actually, where he was just attacking, wasn't he? Attacking, yeah. he was off the front and was just pushing himself up climbs. And not, seemed to be enjoying himself, but it didn't seem to be like he was trying to win the stage particularly. Yeah. It didn't seem like he was trying to get a good result. It looked like he was just trying to bury himself with the yeah. world in mind. I think. It, w- it wouldn't surprise me if through Poland and through the Tour of Britain, he was just giving himself the workout, not caring about the results, you know, maybe even riding to him from the stage start or finish, um, riding in the wind, um, just rather than just sheltering the bunch and getting round, he was probably out there doing all the hard work. So you might not see him in the results, but actually if, if when the coaches look at his data, he's had a really hard day out and he's really pushed himself. And, and that's how that's what riders do in some of these stage races building up to the worlds. They just use them, make it hard for themselves, forget the result. Um, you just want to put your body under that sort of pressure. And then Vern, who else in the British team stand out for you? Well, I mean, in terms of in terms of other riders, it's, it's quite a it's quite a it's quite a strong squad. Um, you've got you're supposed to have Garrett Thomas riding uh, at the time of we're recording this, um, uh, and he's obviously it's quite easy to forget because now he's like Tour de France champion Garrett Thomas that you know he spent many a year riding classics and racing classics, so he's going to be useful on those kind of narrow roads, a big engine. Might not even be a bad plan B, but I think that'll be very much form form dependent. Uh, then you've got some young guys like Owen Dool, uh, Teo Gegenhart, who had a, as I mentioned earlier, had a great welter that he's coming off the back of. So his his confidence, if nothing else, will be sky high, I'm sure. Um, but they'll probably be put to kind of use, kind of either chasing down breaks or kind of trying to keep Ben Smith out of trouble. I would have thought. And Simon, anyone else that you can think of from the British team that's really worth mentioning? Well, Ian Stannard is your bunch engine. Not, not that I expect the British team to be controlling the race at all because there's only six of them. They didn't qualify the full full allocation, so they'll leave that to the Italians, Belgians, Dutch. Um, but Ian Stannard, when they do need to get on the front of the bunch, he'll be the man to look out for. Um, and you've also got Adam Yates, who probably, I'd say he's probably their plan B. I think he'll... Um, He'll be able to soak up all those climbing, um, all the climbing meters that they have early on in the stage. Um, it, his form's been a bit of a mystery since the Tour de France, really, hasn't it? it has, um, yeah. You know, great early season, um, building up the Tour. That was a big disappointment for him, and since then, very quiet. So his form will be a mystery. But if he's on a good day, um, you know, that's, again, it's a sort of sort of race, sort of distance, sort of sort of route that can suit him. So I think he'll probably him and Teo will be the riders who'll be there with Ben Swift at the end of the race. I would hope, um, just helping in those you know the final laps, chasing moves, counterattacking, doing whatever's needed, um, because it's really that that finishing circuit's so tough that that. That role is a really, really important one. You're going. To, whoever wins will need some good riders around them in, on that finishing circuit. I think the one thing you can say about the British team as well is that pretty much all of them that are going are hard as nails, aren't they? There's no fair weather riders in there. You know, it's, uh, there's not people that you kind of tend to associate. Maybe you associate Adam Yates mostly with stage races, but then also he likes a tough day as well, doesn't he? But then the rest of the guys will be used to training in on rough roads, bad weather. You know, all of the sort of conditions that we we could see. You know, for a Yorkshire World Championships. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if I was Matt Bramier. I'd be praying, praying for a bit of rain, possibly. Yeah, because like you say, Stannard, I think, still lives up, he lives up, there, up yeah. north. Dool's just moved back there. Um, you know, it's, it's not... Yates is from Bury. You know, it, it, they're, gonna, they're not going to be phased if it starts hammering it down. So, 
yeah, could play to those. And plenty of potholes that they can get used to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, be yeah. Used to. <laughs> and it's, you know, apart from Yates, that's pretty much all Team Ineos riders, isn't mm. it? So they'll know yeah. each other very, very well. Um, and that really helps on, on the day because you, you kind of, if you know each other that well, I suspect Stanard and Swift will know each other extremely well. Um, Dahl and Gagan Hart, also well, probably not that as close. But they'll just know what each other needs and when, and they'll know their signs and know it, if they're struggling or if they're looking good and you know they won't be afraid to shout at them to get back into position or whatever that 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 um that cohesiveness really makes a big difference i mean that's a good point about them all being kind of kind of friends because i've heard ben swift say before now you know how are you kind of able to push yourself that little bit deeper and you know as much as they're all professionals like if you've if it's all about trying to help one of your mates win the world championships i think that that does make a little bit of a difference and to keep it in the team as well I mean, yes, that's true. You, you yeah. know, you want that those um, that jersey on your, on a within your team. Um, so yeah, it's a long shot, but that's they'll, they'll be working towards that goal, I think. And also, so wrapping it up, then we are we're looking at home world championships, which is obviously a big deal for the cycling world and for our readers and viewers as well. What else do you think people should be looking out for in the week, Simon? Um, well. In the British, uh, British squad, you've got some really talented young riders as well in junior and under 23s. I think in the junior ranks, probably most exciting young rider, Eleanor Baxter. She has dominated junior women's racing this year, um, which really all happens in the spring. Um, she, she, her performances basically put the GB team at the top of the nation's ranking. Um, she then won medals on the track in the summer, where that, which is where their attention shifts in the summer. Um, she, she rode the senior uh, Tour de Yorkshire, where she finished in the 34th, I believe. Um, so, and she medalled last year, our only medalist last year, when she was a first-year junior. So look out for the Baxter, daughter of Magnus Baxter, no surprise. Um, under 23 men, you've got Charlie Quarterman, who's just signed for Trek Segafredo in the time trial. He'll, he'll be interesting to watch. National 10 champ as well. National 10, recent National 10 champion. And then um, you've got Tom Pidcock in Tom the under 23 men's road race who was flying at Lavenier, had a very nasty crash. So it all depends how he's recovered from that. But um, you know, we know, he's from Leeds. We know that the Worlds was his number one target for this year. So if he's recovered from that crash, um, watch out for him because he wants, it. if you line them all up and put the person who wants it most at the top, that's him. Yeah, easily, easily that for, for, for Pidcock. I mean, he had, I know he had, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks off the bike after Lavenier, but... GB coaches were fairly convinced that he could have won that Tour de Lavenir. It's rare to hear them that. I mean, Keith Lambert said he was he was on to win this, and it's rare for them to be that confident. It yeah, really is. Exactly. Like he was, he was in stupendous form, and with good reason. He won the Tour of the Alsace like about a month or so before, I think. So um, he's, you know, this, he, this has been this has been the focal point of his season. It's not just been a big goal. It's like everything up till now, to a certain extent, is secondary to the to the to the worlds for him. Um, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shame that he's had that kind of knock with the crash, which smashed up his face. Um, but if he's been able to get some decent training in, then it, you'd be you'd be a brave man to bet against him. I think. And you can read more about the Yorkshire Worlds in Cycling Weekly. Yeah, we've got a 120 page special issue which is on sale now. We've got every map with all the details you need, profiles, timings, everything you need to go and watch it either in person or on the TV. We've got an interview with Lizzie Danon, Geraint Thomas. Um, we feature all the British riders, plus take a look at the international contenders to look out for in Yorkshire. So don't miss it. It's on sale in WH Smith and all supermarkets. And there'll be more coverage of the Yorkshire World Championships on cyclingweekly.com as well. 
Right, that wraps up this month's edition of the lead out. So let us know who you think is going to win each of the races in the comments below. And we hope you enjoy the racing.